1: Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today, I'm hosting Ralph White. He's the author of the memoir, The Jeweled Highway, On the Quest for a Life of Meaning. He's also the co-founder of the Open Center in New York City. Ralph, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe.
2: Thank you, Justine. Delighted to be here.
1: Delighted to have you. We could talk about many things, but I would like to go to one particular moment in your life when you were a young man and you traveled from Vancouver, Canada down through the U.S., through the west coast of the U.S., down through Mexico, down through Central America, down to South America. And uh, at some point, you ended up in Bogota, Colombia. It was kind of an inadvertent vision quest, so to speak. It took you uh, a couple of years. Almost two. So I know that there was a moment when you were in the outskirts of Bogota and you were feeling connected to the cosmos. You're you're up in the Andes and you've just returned from the Andes and then you also experienced this chaos of city living. I would love for you to share what insight you accumulated there that would help us to see your life journey and why you're doing what you're doing?
2: Well, I had had an experience where I'd been in the Andes for months in Peru and had come down to sea level again and had seen Western industrial civilization for the first time with fresh eyes after being under those stars and in these vast landscapes. And seeing it, I had one of those moments of complete intuitive clarity that Western industrial civilization was destroying and damaging the earth and the biosphere, and it was also really damaging our own souls, and that we had to create an alternative. It was just one of those moments of complete intuitive knowing, and it provided a kind of purpose for me, in a sense. That whole journey was a kind of vision quest, even though I wasn't familiar with the phrase at the time. Uh, but it showed me, it gave me how, what I wanted to devote my life to, which was creating an alternative to that, a more holistic and ecological, a more spiritually conscious approach to life. And then that other moment when I was up on top at Montserrat in Colombia, it was dawn, 1974. And the first light of dawn fell on the sacred snowcap of Tolema in the far distance. And it was a moment with the stars above of complete cosmic serenity and beauty, should we say. Below us, the city was covered in a bank of clouds. But as the sun rose, it burned off the clouds in this febrile, unjust, poverty-stricken city, which was characterized by a lot of mayhem at that time. Appeared beneath me. How do you reconcile those two? How do you reconcile the cosmic serenity harmony and beauty of that morning ray of light on the sacred mountain? with this uh, Anguished massive humanity and not everybody of course, but there was a, certainly a lot of suffering in Bogota at that time and uh, In retrospect, I see it set a certain life pattern for me and that uh, much as I love uh, retreat centers places like Esalen and Mount Madonna, et cetera, and Brighton Bush, my destiny has been more to take it into the city, to take that spiritual and holistic consciousness into the thick of the city. And that's why I co-founded the New York Open Center back 32 years ago, because that was the task. I would talk to people who would have a beautiful experience somewhere in nature, then they would dread the return to the so-called real world of soul-deadening consumer capitalism and wage slavery and so on. Whereas the thing about doing the open center in New York was that we were right in the city. It wasn't a question of having to return and adjust. We were there. We were in the belly of the beast. And, you know, New York in 1983, 84, when we started, it really was at a very difficult time in terms of violence and crime, et cetera. So, I think that has just that's pointed me towards bringing those two together and saying, "Look, they must be done. Our task is to integrate the spiritual and the gritty urban reality. We have to bring them together so
1: that is our task, at least in the way that your life is
2: yeah. reflected it well and and in social justice, you know for me, it's always been important." That people accuse others of being new age narcissists and some people just concerned with their own inner spiritual development or their own health. I think it's important for those of us who have a spiritual perspective to be engaged with the world, to be engaged with social justice, to be engaged with the environment, to be engaged in reaching out to just the regular people that we see. and and just the way we conduct our lives and if we're running a center and trying to make them as open as available to as broad a cross-section of the population as possible so that you don't have to pay hundreds of dollars to come to an event at the open center you could just 20 bucks or something you can Mm -hmm. come in and and you can have an experience so that means that we have a broader multicultural demographic base than probably most or that's, any, that's maybe right. any other holistic center in North America, and that's very important to us. So, we, And also in what we do, because New York is a world city, we want to honor the mystical and spiritual traditions from every culture, not just east-west, but north-south as well. Mm-hmm. So we want Afro-Brazilian and Caribbean, etc., uh, those cultures, as well as, you know, the far north. We're going to do an esoteric quest in Iceland, an esoteric quest for the mysteries of the north in Iceland uh, in August. So we're living in a time recalling calling for that kind of integration.
1: Say something about uh, the esoteric quest. What is that?
2: Yeah, well, I've done this 20-year series of conferences. Uh, they're more than conferences now called esoteric quests. And we just did one in the south of France, an esoteric quest. The Troubadours, Cathars, Templars, and the Grail in medieval Languedoc. It was about the high culture of the south of France in the Middle Ages and its deep spirituality and its culture of love, unfortunately destroyed by a terrible crusade that was sent Mm -hmm. against them by uh, the Catholic Church. But next year, we're going to be going to Iceland. And in August, we can, as I mentioned, the provisional title is An Esoteric Quest for the Mysteries of the North in Iceland. Since a boy, I've always loved Norse mythology. Uh, it has a huge amount of wisdom uh, within it. Odin, Thor, Freya. Of course, Iceland is an amazing culture. They dealt with the banking crisis in two thousand and eight in exemplary fashion. They put the bankers in jail, and they have now uh, they <laughs> refuse to take on the whole debt as a nation. And, and
1: Iceland in its geography, it's some of the newest oh yeah. land mass on the planet. I'm fascinated by It's where by. the
2: tectonic plates meet between uh, the eastern and western hemisphere. It is. It's a very fresh land, the land of fire and ice volcanoes, glaciers. It's so far north, you know. I was talking to uh, somebody I'm just getting to know there who's a fourth-generation esotericist, a holistic psychiatrist. I said to him, word has it that uh, Icelanders believe in elves and goblins and trolls. He said, no, we cannot say that we... Believe in these things. We know. <laughs> you know, oh, it's a highly educated culture, but 80% of Icelanders are said to believe in these other levels of being because you're so far north.
1: And it wasn't invaded by the Romans, so it doesn't oh, have not. that <laughs> Roman overlay that you yeah. get more in England, yes, uh, but that's right. you get to Ireland, and then you get to Iceland. Yes, and, and it's not at all. Out in the no, hinterlands. No, it was that
2: Iceland was really a a Nordic Celtic yeah. phenomenon yeah. because the Vikings would stop off in. Ireland and Scotland to pick up wives or women to populate. So it took, people thought that Icelandic was the original ancient Nordic tongue. But in fact, they found out that many of the words are Celtic in origin. So it does have that very interesting mix of those two cultures. That's
1: beautiful. So, so when does that take place? That will
2: be the last week of August. If people go to the website esotericquest.org. So that's in 2016.
1: 2016, yes. yes. Ralph, I have to ask you something. We could talk about all of your travels and everything, but there was one piece in your book that you talk about, and I wonder if you ever figured it out. You're on this quest (laughs) to deliver something in eastern Tibet, and I mean, you're in the wilds of eastern Tibet, and you have this young man with you, and you're in this tent, and and he gets you out of the tent, and you, you look up, and it's a full moon, and you see this shiny golden orb that you say mm-hmm. is about one-sixteenth, so one, an of the eighth size of the, the moon, size yeah. of the moon. Did you ever figure no. out what that no, was? No, it was
2: it was totally mysterious. I personally have never given a lot of attention to the whole UFO thing, but I was in a very remote part of the eastern Himalayas where I think few, if any, Westerners had ever been before. And yes, we were camped up at maybe 13 14,000 feet underneath this jagged mountain chain. And yes, I was just... In my tent, it was so cold that this young Sino-Tibetan guy, Shinkaka, I can still remember him running down to the tent. He couldn't say Ralph. He was yelling, Lurfer, lurfa, lurfa!" And I stuck my head out of the tent and he pointed into the night sky and there was this orb. It was a kind of a coppery shaped orb, maybe an eighth or so a size of the moon. And it was absolutely stationary in the sky. It was a crystal clear night, full moon. And I've always had very good eyesight. But I looked at it for as long as I could. Was there a gondola? Was there something hanging beneath it? There was nothing. Okay. I must have looked at it for 20 minutes and it was stock stationary in the sky.
1: You know, Ralph, uh, I was wondering, I know that that trip for you, you were under the protection mm. of a very powerful lama. Who uh, was the was uh, Chagin, the, the Nekchung
2: Protector. Yeah. Protector
1: in Tibetan culture is mm. represented from the monastery there in yeah. uh, Dharamsala. Yeah, the
2: Nechung Monastery.
1: And I was wondering, when I read that, I thought, oh, maybe it was just a signal, kind of like going back to... Jesus' birth and stuff, and the, the sky had these, like, different signals that, you know, and and something from that protector saying, yes, Ralph, you're on the right path. <laughs> you
2: know? Well, I, you know, when we went up to talk to some nomads who were up there in their black yak-haired tent the next morning... You know, because I could speak a few words of uh, Chinese, but uh, I could count to ten, and I could say day and night. And they pointed to that place in the sky, and they said three nights, three nights. And the phrase everybody learns when you go to China is "batong, batong, war batong." Means I don't understand. So they they just pointed. They said and they three saw nights. It too. Yes, and they said "batong, batong, batong." We don't understand. So, yes, this mysterious thing had come, yeah. and, it, and in the morning I thought, well, what can it be? It, maybe it is a, uh, a weather balloon or something that mm-hmm. was, is being winched up and down, because what is stationary in the sky at that height for that is circular, spherical, for 20 minutes? But when we crossed the pass the next morning, it was a sea of mountains stretching out to yeah. infinity. And there was no sign. There was nothing. Yeah, nothing. There was just one little narrow path.
1: One of those mysteries Yeah, in life. so
2: that, I thought I should put it in because I just, I have no explanation for it. I think we should share these enigmas so we can all live with this
1: question. I agree, and yeah. I think as people read your book, this memoir, it will invoke for ourselves those different moments in our own lives where there's been mm-hmm. a turn in the path and where we've been, you know, our heart has been opened, mm-hmm. and I think that you show this over and over again—that oh. there's a kind of guidance, I believe, mm-hmm. in our lives. Mm-hmm. Do you concur? Well,
2: yes. I mean, people who, who read the book tell me that there are many synchronistic moments where I meet this person or I meet that person. At the time, you know, you're so immersed in it that it doesn't necessarily seem so extraordinary. But looking back, I mean, I certainly have had my share of synchronicities. That's for sure. But uh, even things that I hadn't considered synchronicities are seen as people read the book. How remarkable that you stumbled across this little town, the southern Bohemian mecca of alchemists, one dark night in Bohemia, out of the blue, and it led to a twenty-year conference series, etc. My life has been filled with mysteries, openings, the unexpected. I haven't followed a conventional career path. I don't even think of myself as having a <laughs> career. I've just followed my heart, really and try to be true. You know, I mentioned there's that one moment in the book when I am in South America, when I arrive at that insight, the greatest service we can give the world is simply to be ourselves. And uh, I'm always surprised that a lot of people go through life without realizing that. It's one of the main regrets of the dying is that they've spent their lives being somebody who they thought other people wanted them to be rather than just being themselves. So. I've just followed my heart, really, and doors continue to open and I can't claim that it's just, you know, it's not the silk breeze, (laughs) the only thing I don't, about the cover, the cover card of the book, which I love, but it kind of suggests that my life's been the straight and narrow, it's been lots of bends and turns and twists and sometimes I've had brick walls and it's been important to me to convey the moments of doubt and suffering because people want to hear the real authentic emotional truth. So I don't want to claim it's been a breeze, but it's been deeply worthwhile. And yes, I do feel that we do have an an individual purpose, and our task is to discover it. And just by being ourselves and following our hearts, we come to embody it.
1: Ralph, I want to thank you for embodying your (laughs) life's path and sharing that with us. And I encourage people to pick up the book and Read about your adventures. Uh, Thank you so much for being part of the New Dimensions Café.
2: My pleasure.
1: I've been here with Ralph White. He's the author of the memoir, The Jeweled Highway, on the quest for a life of meaning. And he also leads esoteric quests. And he has a series coming up in 2016 to Iceland. And he is a co-founder of the Open Center in New York City. If you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, ralphwhite.net. That's ralphwhite.net. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine willis toms and I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe. And please do join us again.
0: You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe.